Right, this afternoon we're looking at 1 Peter 3.18, which has been called one of the shortest and richest summaries of the gospel in the New Testament. And that ought to be very exciting to us to hear uh, that this is a place where we can find a short and rich summary of the gospel because we want people to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this... This verse, once again, reads this way. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. So I don't always do this, but uh, all of the points that I'm about to make start with P. The person, Christ. The price, he suffered for sins. The perfection, once the just for the unjust, the purpose that he might bring us to God, and the power being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. So the person, the price, the perfection, the purpose, and the power of the work of Jesus Christ. So we start with the person. It's very important that we realize that the gospel is not simply about an idea. It's about a person the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus can save us. We can't save ourselves. That's very important. We need to know that we can't save ourselves. We need to know that it's not merely an idea. It's about the person of Jesus Christ. And the book of 1 Peter has actually had three big sections concerning Jesus Christ. We call them Christological sections. It's a fancy way of saying it's it's about Jesus specifically. And the rest of it is, is building on that. And the verse begins saying, For Christ also suffered for sins. Linking us to those previous sections. For Christ also suffered, the word says. The suffering of Christians has already been in view in 1 Peter. But we're now going to focus specifically, again, on Jesus Christ. Previously, in the section that that. Peter is building on here, he pointed out that Christ's unjust suffering in the flesh was an example for Christian living. It's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. He said many things in chapter 2, verses 18 to 25, uh, and uh, among those, uh, he focused on the fact that Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. What is the example like? There was no deceit found in his mouth. He did not revile when he was reviled. He did not threaten when he suffered. He committed himself to the one who judges righteously. And then the passage begins to talk about the distinction between Jesus Christ and us, how Jesus Christ is different. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live to righteousness. Jesus Christ began uh, to suffer in a way that was redemptive. So notice that this is connecting our suffering to the suffering of Jesus Christ. That's important for us to realize in First Peter. Our suffering is connected to the suffering of Jesus Christ. It's not redemptive suffering, but it is suffering connected to the suffering of Jesus Christ. We suffer, but we need to learn how we're shepherded in our suffering. And that's what the end of chapter 2 is about. And then in uh, verses 21 to 24, of that chapter, we learned that Christ's death was an atoning sacrifice. 
as a substitute for us. We learn that Jesus Christ died for a purpose, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. We learn that he bore our sins. And now we are moving beyond the appeal to the example of Jesus Christ, and we're seeing how Jesus Christ operates in a territory that is exclusive to him in terms of this suffering. He's completely unique in his suffering in certain respects. And one thing to remember is that Christ's suffering resulted in his death. That brings us to the price that he suffered. Jesus Christ suffered for sins. Why did he suffer? It was for sins. He was paying the penalty for our sins. 1 Peter uh, 1.18 puts it this way, knowing that you were not redeemed with incorruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish or without spot. You were redeemed. You were bought by the precious, precious blood of Jesus Christ. He suffered for our sins. This was the only way that this could happen. So this is the price that Jesus Christ uh, paid. Verse 24 of chapter 2 said, He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Think of that. Jesus Christ himself bore our sins. That's quite a statement. That's a statement that is worth meditating on as we think of the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, as we prepare for the supper, as we meditate before we share the gospel with others. Jesus Christ bore our sins in his own body. Martin Luther was confessing his sins and confessing his sins and confessing his sins to the priest. He kept going back and finding more sins to confess until the Holy Spirit showed him in the book of Romans that righteousness came from another the righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. This is the one who bore our sins in his own body on the tree. This is the price that Jesus Christ suffered. What's more, it was a substitution. This verse tells us it was the just for the unjust. The person, Jesus Christ, paid the price for sins, and it was a substitution, the just for the unjust. This brings us to the next point we want to make, the person, the price, now the perfection. Jesus Christ bore our sins, and he did this once. He did this once, and the Bible says it was the just for the unjust. In other words, he was the perfect satisfaction of God's wrath. He only had to do it once. There was no more ongoing day of atonement every year. Jesus Christ did it once. This verse talks about his suffering for sins, but you notice that that word once is emphasized. It's very important that Jesus Christ did this once. The Roman Catholic Church, when they celebrate the Mass, says that the sacrifice is repeated again and again. We do not believe that is what the Bible teaches. That is not what God is saying. Jesus Christ offered himself once. In other words, his suffering is unrepeatable. It doesn't have to be repeated. It's unrepeatable. It doesn't have to be repeated because it was perfect. It doesn't have to be repeated because it was final. It doesn't have to be repeated because it was complete. In other words, it was offered once for all. Once for all of the people uh, that, for whom Jesus Christ died and once for all time. 
Jesus Christ died once. And that's the burden of the book of Hebrews in that passage that we just read. And it's very important that we realize uh, that uh, very profound things uh, are being said here in comparison to the Old Covenant so that we might see that the Old Covenant was a picture of something that would be accomplished finally and completely by the work of Jesus Christ, the perfect work that Jesus Christ would do. Uh, Hebrews 9 uh, told us that it was not with the blood of goats and calves that had to be repeated uh, that Jesus Christ offered himself. No, he offered his own blood by the eternal spirit in order to cleanse your conscience, uh, the the word says. And Jesus Christ, uh, according to Hebrews 9, 24, entered into heaven itself to appear in the presence of God for us. That is what is the most uh, important thing about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You notice in the book of Leviticus that the, the holy places had to be atoned for. They had to be purified. But Jesus Christ is offering himself in heaven, now appearing in the presence of God for us. That's where Jesus Christ is. This is the perfection of his work. It's offered once for all, but now he appears for us in heaven. That's where Jesus Christ is. And the book of Hebrews says that he offered himself once to bear the sins of many, and now we are eagerly waiting for him to appear a second time. You see, Jesus Christ is in heaven. He has offered himself, and he is appearing in the presence of God on our behalf, and he's going to appear a second time. And he is not going to offer himself for sin. He already has done that. He's going to save us. He's going to bring us home. Hebrews 10, 14 says, By one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So it's not only that Jesus Christ's offering was perfect, it's that he's perfected the people that he offered himself for. He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. In other words, you are set apart by the work of Jesus Christ. You are made perfect in the sense that Jesus Christ is appearing on God in God's presence on your behalf. And when he comes back to take you home, that is the fullness of your salvation. There is nothing more that Jesus Christ has to do on your behalf because he has offered himself and he has perfected you forever. And this is part of what we need to understand as the background of this massive statement that says the just for the unjust. This is part of the perfection of Jesus Christ's work. Not only that he did it once, but that he did it the just for the unjust. The just is a singular. The unjust is plural. That's an important thing for us to know. Jesus Christ is the just one, the righteous one. And he offered himself for unrighteous people, unjust people, which includes all of us, all of us who trust in Jesus Christ. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no one who is in the just category apart from Jesus Christ in this verse. We are all in the unjust category. But he's offered himself the just for the unjust, for us. In other words, Christ's death was a substitution, one for many others. The one offered for the many. 
Now, one time I was preaching on this passage, and, and that day uh, we drove to a worship service and we saw a building had collapsed in our neighborhood. And uh, firemen were there and they were, they were getting ready to, um, to help people out. Now, sometimes during a fire, buildings collapse. And firemen sometimes enter buildings while those buildings are collapsing. And sometimes firemen give their lives. When they give their lives in such a way, people see them as a hero. He gave his life trying to save people. Look at that hero. And it's true. That's a very heroic act. But you see, Jesus Christ actually saved people in his death. He didn't just give his life trying to save people. He actually did. He gave himself the just for the unjust. And that was all for a purpose, you see. The purpose of the work of Jesus Christ, this is our next point. The purpose is that he might bring us to God. You see, that's what a priest does. Jesus Christ is not only the sacrifice, he's also the priest. And the purpose of Jesus Christ in his priestly work is to bring us to God. This is what the old covenant priests uh, were doing, but they could not do it permanently. You see, this is the difference between the work of the Old Covenant priests and the work of Jesus Christ. And this is what the book of Hebrews is emphasizing in chapter 7 and chapter 9 and other places. The Old Covenant priests could not bring you to God permanently because they were, they were held back by a problem. Uh, they continued to die off. Jesus Christ needed to die and be raised in order that he might bring us to God permanently. Now in his risen state, Jesus Christ brings you to God permanently. That's the work of Jesus Christ. His sacrifice is acceptable, but you might think, well, there's still something nagging in the back of my mind that is, that is making me feel separate from God. I just have this nagging uh, concern about the sin that I keep committing, that one sin that I keep going back to. And the book of Hebrews says, your conscience has been cleansed by the work of Jesus Christ. Part of the work of Jesus bringing you to God is cleansing your very conscience. This is what we need. You see, the work of Jesus Christ is designed to bring you to God. That is the purpose of it. And he continues to do this work as your high priest. How does he do this? How can the, the Lord Jesus Christ bring you to God in this way? Well, the book of First uh, Peter in this verse tells us we have seen the the uh, ongoing uh, trajectory of this passage as we've considered the person who did uh, this work on our behalf, Jesus Christ, the price he suffered for sins, the perfection he did it once and he did it the just for the unjust, the purpose of it that he might bring us to God, and now we see the very power that is involved in this. Jesus Christ is no longer the sufferer. Jesus Christ is no longer suffering for sins. He is now the victor. Jesus Christ is in a victorious position because verse 18 says, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. The passage from death to resurrection, that's how Jesus Christ uh, now is offer, able to offer uh, his priestly work before God. This points us to the very throne room of God, which is emphasized in verse 22, 
which mentions that Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers have been made subject to him. Not only does Jesus Christ uh, uh, ascend into heaven by power, but he has power. He has power and authority there. Angels and authorities and powers are subject to him. Jesus Christ is a victor as the risen one, and Jesus Christ is a victor as the one to whom angels and authorities are subject. That's important. It's important because Jesus Christ is the one who's offering uh, to God his finished work on your behalf. You see, this is uh, leading us into the very throne room of God. This is the end point of the work of Jesus Christ. It transcends our earthly limitations because he's uh, done this work by the Spirit. That Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ uh, has, has uh, done this work uh, uh, through is the same Holy Spirit who sanctifies us. The book of 1 Peter uh, told us in chapter 1 and verse 2 that we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. We're set apart by the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit uh, that was the means by which Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. This is the same Spirit who testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ to the prophets. In the Old Testament, when 1 Peter 1.11 says they were searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. The same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead that caused the prophets to uh, communicate uh, in Revelation the testimony of Jesus Christ uh, in the Old Testament is the spirit that enables you to understand the gospel. The spirit that assures you that your conscience is clean because Jesus Christ has cleansed it. The spirit that sanctifies, the spirit that testified to the prophets also purifies our souls. 1 Peter 1, uh, 22 says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, Love one another fervently with a pure heart. In other words, this spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead enables you to understand the gospels, has set you apart, has testified to Jesus Christ in the old and new covenants, and purifies your souls. This is what has happened through Jesus Christ being made alive and Jesus Christ ascending into heaven. Romans 1 verses 3 and 4 puts it this way. Uh, the gospel is concerning uh, the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ has been declared to be the Son of God with power. He now has entered into a new phase of his work. It's his exalted work. And that work has been applied to you. You see, the book of Romans uh, puts it this way, uh, helping you to understand uh, what your identity is in a way that, uh, that fills out the picture that we get in 1 Peter. This is what Romans 8, 9 to 11 says. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, 
The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your moral bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What that passage is saying is that your resurrection in the future, your, the resurrection of your body, is uh, also connected to your identity now. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. That's your identity. That's who you are. You are one who has the spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwelling in you. And you also will receive new bodies, life given to your mortal bodies through his spirit. You see, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that is mentioned in this passage, the one who was put to death in the flesh but made alive by the spirit, is also part of the way that the work of Jesus Christ is applied to you. Jesus Christ is the only one who could be raised in this way. Jesus Christ is the only one whose resurrection could be applied to you in this way. And yet it is applied to you by the work of the Holy Spirit. This victor has been offered once for you, for your sins. He paid the price, suffering for sins. He offered himself perfectly once, the just for the unjust. He offered himself in order to bring you to God. And this power... The fact that he was put to death in the flesh but made alive by the Spirit is your very identity in him. That's why this is one of the shortest and richest summaries of the gospel in the New Testament. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wondrous work of Jesus Christ. We thank you for what you have shown to us about the person of Christ, the price uh, that he paid uh, having suffered for sins, uh, meaning his death on our behalf and the perfection that he that he offered since he died once for all the just for the unjust and we thank you that he is the high priest who continues to bring us to you we thank you that he's even able to uh, cause our conscience to be uh, formed by the knowledge of his high priestly work and his once-for-all sacrifice. And we know that the power that enables this to happen is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The power of the resurrection, the fact that he was made alive by the Spirit. And that same Spirit has been given to us. That same Spirit is the means by which we are set apart. That same Spirit is the means by which the prophets began to testify of Jesus Christ and give us further assurance of his work. That same spirit is the means by which our souls are purified so that we are enabled to love the family of God sincerely without pretending. And that same spirit is the means by which our identity is formed, that we are no longer in the flesh, that the spirit of God dwells in us, and that the, the fact that the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us assures us of our bodily resurrection and also the fact that righteousness lives in us. And this is all because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fullness of the work of Jesus Christ will take us 
the rest of eternity to explore. And yet we are beginning to taste the richness of it. Please help us as we communicate the gospel to other people to meditate upon this great Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.